The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me this week, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And this week, we're going to be talking about um, Alfred Hitchcock's film, Rebecca, from 1940. Um, Before we get into that, though, we'll talk about what we've been watching and look at what's coming out on home video this Tuesday, January 9th, 2018. And then look what's coming out in theaters on uh, January 12th, 2018. Um, Corey, how's it been? You know, it's been. Actually, I had a really great day. I'm having a good week now. Um, You know, a couple of my favorite musicians are releasing new songs, and I got my annual review already at my job. I'm getting old. Time is going so fast. (laughs) And everyone had such nice things to say about me, and it was a little, you know... Oh, teary-eyed. Well, you'll get my review in a few days. Um, oh, shizzle. It, it won't be quite as kind. But, you know, um, everything can't be, you know, roses and lemonade. So, is that a saying? I don't Thanks. know. It should be. Um, well, now it is. Roses and lemonade. You heard it here first, people. Um, But I, I know you at least have been to the movies once since we last spoke. I've been to the movies quite a few times, actually twice. I think I get messed up since we do the two shows. So I went to see The Shape of Water, which I loved. And then I went to see All the Money in the World. And what um, Pottersville, I watched that at home on Netflix. People get on that. Michael Shannon's in it, and it's pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's Jaws meets It's a Wonderful Life. Um, yeah. And obviously, I need to watch Shaw's again, so maybe that should be another movie club oh <laughs> assignment. Be- before the podcast, Corey had sent me a message that said, ready, but I didn't receive it. So we were a little late getting started, and I just now, while we're recording, <gasps> received I see it. the ready message. I've seen it 640. I sent that to you nine minutes ago now. And it just came through, so yes. Um, that's pretty funny, because I'm like sitting here looking at my phone to read off what I've watched since our last episode, and then I got that message. I'm like, okay. <laughs> she really did say she was ready. Um, I have seen quite a few things. I've actually watched a movie a day since um, since the 30th. Uh, I've watched a movie every day. In fact, I watched two on the 30th. Um, oh! Yes. And I watched The Lure. Ah, yes. Uh, that is a Swedish film? I think it's Polish. Polish. That, and that it was... Is, release on Criterion and we talked about that several months ago on the podcast when it was coming out on Criterion Collection and you said it was strange yes it looked pretty strange um it's about mermaids right yeah but they can if they dry out so if their skin dries out they can become girls they have legs Ah. so I want to be a mermaid I want to be that mermaid all right I will make some phone calls but thank you um, I've seen, uh, since our last recording, I've seen Pitch Perfect 3, Pottersville, uh, on your recommendation, um, The Meyerowitz Stories, which I really, really enjoyed, and I thought, uh, Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller are both terrific in that film, and it's a Noah Baumbach movie. Um, highly recommend. I don't recommend Pitch Perfect 3, by the way. Um, 
that thing you do, I rewatched because I'm teaching it to my students. I needed to check on a couple of things before I brought it in. Uh, they'll be watching that next week. Um, so I'll be watching it again five times <laughs> because I'm teaching oh. it to five classes, um, which is not something I normally do. Usually uh, my different tier classes have different films, but none of them have seen this movie. So I'm kind of excited. I rarely find a movie that none of my students have seen, and I found one. And it's a, it's a, in my opinion, it's a classic. Um, maybe it's too, too new. Well, it's 22 years old. Is that, is that classic? I think. I, think I thought classic. that after 20 years, it's considered classic. That's what I'm leaning towards. Um, but then I rented Brad's Status on Tuesday when it came out, uh, and I watched that one with my wife mainly. She did leave a little early because she had to go somewhere, but I really enjoyed Brad's Status. Um, another two, two Ben Stiller movies this week. Um, both dramatic, oh. and uh, I really enjoyed Brad Status a lot. It's Mike White, um, who he uh, wrote School of Rock, and he's written a few other things. Um, I really like Brad Status quite a bit. The score is great, uh, for sure. Um, then I watched Rebecca, the film we're going to be talking about tonight. Last night I went and saw Molly's Game, and I really enjoyed that. Um, if you're an Aaron Sorkin fan, I think you'll find a lot of enjoyment in it. There is some There's some bad stuff, too, because this is his directorial debut. Um, but it's it's definitely a very compelling film, super engaging. Chastain and Idris Elba are both fantastic. And then tonight, uh, before the podcast, um, my wife apparently saw uh, the end of Fault in Our Stars th- this afternoon. And she had seen it in the theater, but caught the end of it and then made me uh, watch it. Um, and I, I really I enjoyed it. I won't lie. Um, I did tear up because I am I do cry at movies. And uh, I... I I kept making a lot of jokes about um, him being baby, uh, and I found it kind of yeah. I, I found it ironic because his character in the movie is a really bad driver in *Fault in Our Stars*. Oh, so I was like, well, that's funny. Um, and then I, I made a few jokes that maybe like um, *Baby Driver* is like his afterlife, you know, post *Fault in Our Stars*. Spoilers for *Fault in Our Stars*, but. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're cancer patients, you know. Yeah, it can't end too happy. Apparently. Right? Um, but I didn't know Laura Dern plays uh, her Shailene Woodley's mother in Fall of Yeah, and I would have probably watched it way sooner had I known uh, she was also in the movie. And Willem Dafoe's in the movie, which I didn't oh, know. Oh, heck. So both of those things would have made me watch that a while ago had I known, but I did not. So. Hold on. Kathy saw Fall in Our Stars in the theater and you didn't? Correct. With... um. Taylor and I don't reach they went with someone else that just doesn't happen maybe with Bobby I don't remember for sure they went a while ago I had no interest in seeing it um at the time and I still I I mean to be fair I didn't have an interest in watching it today although I can't deny um it is it was much better than I anticipated I had a a very my first experience with Shane Lee Woodley was the secret life of American teenager and if you saw Ugh. that show, yeah, it was not not high caliber uh, acting, and I had a negative opinion of her from that, so I avoided everything she was in. Last year, I did watch um, The Descendants and uh, Spectacular Now, and realized that she's actually a very good actress if cast correctly. And um, Fault in Our Stars was no different. I thought she was pretty great in this movie. So, and it was the second, only the second movie I've seen Ansel Elgore in, and I really liked him in this as well. So. He's definitely got that kind of doofy charm, though, in everything. Like, that's that's not, like, just in Baby Driver. That's just kind of... That's just him know. as a person. Yeah. Okay. Um, or at least in the two movies that I've seen him in. But 
Um, but yeah, I, you know, I saw a lot, and I I'm not purposely watching a movie a day, but it does seem like I'm hitting that stride pretty well right now. So I'm gonna keep it up for as long as I can. Um, again, not not looking to do that for 2018 or anything, but if it happens, it happens. And I I am looking to. Uh, I was thinking today, like I could hit a thousand movies in three years if I uh, holy hell if I'm active this year and keep that number up because I I did 385 uh, in 2016. I did 335 last year. Um, although to be fair, that's not all individual like movies. That is m- movies watched. So I did rewatch a few here and there. Um, like I saw. You only need two eighty this year. Is that right? To hit a thousand. Look at you. Doing I just math. did the maths. <laughs> I just like started thinking about it a little bit ago, and I was like, oh, I could probably hit a thousand in three years. That'd be kind of cool. So that's probably what my goal is. Um, just to hit the thousand mark this year. Uh, so in three years, I will have watched a thousand movies. Again, not individual movies, but I will have sat through a thousand movies, whether they're rewatches or whatnot. Because I have, like, I saw Spider-Man: Homecoming three times this year. I saw Get Out twice. I saw Big Sick twice. Um, I saw Lady Bird twice. You know, those are, and even last year, I didn't count it. Actually, I have seen more than that because I didn't count my rewatches of Green Room, which I saw twice in the theater in 2016, and I saw The Lobster twice in the theater in 2016. And I didn't count the second viewings in my three three eighty five because I that was part of my rules for that year. So I'm actually closer to a thousand than I thought. Just I think you only need two eighteen. Nope, nope, nope. Two seventy eight. Sorry, I was doing my math backwards. Bad. Not bad. So as there long as if I keep about a, a movie a month, I'll finish before the year's over. So boom, new goal. Um, let's look what's coming out on uh, home video this coming Tuesday. Cause there's actually uh one movie that I know we. I'm, I think we both saw, and then a couple that I want to see that I missed in the theater. Um, we'll start with the more obscure ones. Uh, there's a film called Dina that I would not heard anything about, but it's a documentary, and I was super intrigued by it. Um, and it's got really good Metacritic. It's a 75 Metacritic score. And uh, check out check out this premise. Now, I doubt you're going to be able to find this on like Redbox or, or Hold on. How do you spell it? D-I-N-A. That's bo- what I'm looking up, and it's not pulling up anything. It, it, there's a lot of stuff because it's a it's a first person oh. name. But look for a okay. it's a white cover with the word Dina is it. Dina in Dina. Um, it reminds me of the cover of Ghost World. It kind of does, yeah. The color scheme, I think, in the the simplicity of it. But it's an eccentric uh, an eccentric that eccentric suburban woman and a Walmart door greeter navigate their evolving relationship in this unconventional love story. <laughs> so. Um, now this the explanation I read on Metacritic was much more detailed, so I'm going to re- recap what I remember. Um, he has intimacy issues, and she's oh. kind of a freak, apparently, and um, and not <laughs> not I don't think either ha- have a lot of experience, but um, it's them trying to like navigate this weird like they both love each other, and yet he has problems like being intimate, like it freaks him out. Like it's not just like he doesn't want to do it. It, he's like afraid of it apparently and it's it sounds kind of endearing and um it's supposed to be structured more like a traditional narrative than a documentary from what i read and i'm i'm intrigued by oh. it oh um so i i, I kind of want to watch it i don't know how i'm assuming this is going to be one you're going to have to get uh on VOD i doubt you're going to find the dvd to rent anywhere but um it sounds really interesting uh, and i want to check it out it, the opening weekend in the us i don't know how uh, you know, many theaters, of course, but it only grossed or made six thousand fifteen dollars. 
Yeah, it's a documentary. Documentaries don't get big releases um, normally. Usually they get like a New York and L.A. release and or uh, if they're from <laughs> another city. But um, like I only got I've seen one documentary that wasn't like a mass marketed documentary uh, was Wiener in Boston. And that was because I was in Boston. I was able to see it. Um, oh, dang. And and at festivals, you can see documentaries at festivals, but that's, you know, you get maybe one or two of those every once in a while. But uh, the next film I heard about from Battleship Pretension and then noticed that it was coming out this week. So I decided to talk about it. It's called The Pirates of Somalia. Um, it stars. Uh, I didn't actually hear this on Battleship Pretension, but it stars Al Pacino, Evan Peters, uh, Melanie Griffith, um, Barkhad. Abdi, who is uh, most famous for Captain Phillips, but he was also in Blade Runner 2049 this year. And then, um, oh man, he was in something else that I can't, now I can't think of what it was. But um, the premise is in 2008, a rookie journalist, Jay uh, Bahador, forms a half-baked plan to embed himself among the pirates of Somalia. He ultimately succeeds in providing the first close-up look into these men, uh, who these men are, how they live, and the forces that drive them. So it's a biopic. Um, with Evan Peters being the lead character, to my understanding. Um, and uh, apparently it happened simultaneously when the Captain Phillips thing happens, too. And so he's he's there oh. when the Captain Phillips thing happens. And um, the pirates are looking for, to kill Americans because of the, the deaths of the pirates that happened during the Captain Phillips exchange. So... Um, very intriguing, and it, it's good good to note that uh, Barkhad Abdi, who is like the the head of Captain the Pirates in the Captain Phillips movie, he's the one who says I'm the captain now. Um, he's not playing a pirate in this one, I don't believe. He's like the the translator for Evan Peters' character, is my understanding. Um, it sounds really interesting. I I definitely want to check it out. I don't know again how readily available this one will be if it's going to be at a red box or if this is going to be a VOD rental, but it's one I'm intrigued about and want to check out. And I, I'm a fan of Evan Peters, and I don't get to see him in too many things. So, Because you like him too, right? Because you were a fan of uh, American Horror Story, at least you were. Yeah, it's like hit or miss, the seasons, but I like him a lot. But that's all that I think I've seen him in. Um, he's in X-Men um, Days of Future Past as Quicksilver and as in X-Men Apocalypse as Quicksilver. Um, he's in the first kick Oh, that's right. Yeah, and he's in the first Kick-Ass movie as the one of the two friends um, of Aaron Taylor Johnson, which is interesting because Aaron Taylor Johnson played Quicksilver in Marvel's The Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, so they both mm-hmm. were in Kick-Ass together and then played Quicksilvers, which I am not the first person to make that observation. Oh, shizzle. But he's... He was also in Elvis and Nixon. Ah, uh, yes, he's one of the um the president's um counselors or something like whatever whatever the correct term is, but advisors or whatever. He sets up the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. He, him and Colin Hanks, I believe, are the two advisors that set up the meeting between Elvis and Nixon. Um, <laughs> that movie's so funny. I really enjoyed uh, most of it, although it does suck that it's Kevin Spacey again because now it's hard oh, to watch dang. anything with Spacey in it thanks to his craziness. Um, next up is The Foreigner, the, uh, Jackie Chan and I think Pierce Brosnan movie, um, and Brosnan's like way down on the list, uh, directed by Martin Campbell. Um, I missed this in the theater and I was really bummed. I actually wanted to see this. Uh, I had not wanted to see a Jackie Chan movie in quite some time and the trailer looked really interesting. I did hear that the trailer is very misleading and that it's not the movie. I, I, well, you know, to get you in the seats is why they do it, but, um, I heard, though, that the movie you get is really good, although the 
Metacritic sitting at 55, but the user rating 7.1. I'm probably going to lean with the user side on this one because I am a big fan of uh, generally martial arts films. Although I again here this is more of like an espionage film than not, um, but it's one I missed and I really do want to check out. So, you a fan at all of Jackie Chan? Um. <laughs> That's the I, I don't remember what movies he was in that my dad watched. Probably Rumble in the Bronx, Super Cop, um, and then uh, he led into from that uh, Shanghai Noon, and then okay. Rush Hour. Oh, Rush um, Hour. Rush Hour one, two, and three. It um, was those. And then Shanghai Nights, which I never saw Shanghai Nights. I've heard some people make claims that it's better than Shanghai Noon, and I did like Shanghai Noon. That was him and uh, Owen Wilson. Dang. And there's some good stuff in that movie. It's not perfect by any means, but it's it was a fun movie back then. They're doing a Rush Hour 4 and The Karate Kid 2. Oh, oh God, not The Karate Kid. Oh, Sorry. Jaden Smith, how? Sorry. All right. So when average we got two more to get to. Uh, Marshall, which I also missed in the theater, stars Chadwick Boseman, Josh Gad, Kate Hudson, um, Sterling K. Brown, Dan Stevens, who's in a bunch of stuff this year, or at least I keep seeing his name on everything. Um, uh, it's about Thurgood Marshall, the the first African American oh. Supreme Court um, justice, as he battles through one of his career defining cases. Um, I've heard good things. It's got a sixty six on Metacritic. Uh, Big Tuna, who often writes for us but has his own website, Big Tuna on Films, um, uh, liked this film if I recall correctly. So it's a recommendation from him. Um, one that I I'm missed in theaters, but we'll probably check out. Although I am a little burnt out on Josh Gad, I don't know how much more I can take of him. I don't know how prominent he is in the film, but he's second build. So wasn't he though? Um, he was in Loving, and he wasn't terrible. Josh Gad wasn't he? I, I thought so. I don't. I thought he was one of the. Um, I the, thought he was there. The lawyer. Lawyer. No, is that was Nick Kroll oh. and the guy whose name I never remember, but he was in uh, Molly's game for a scene. And then, I'm fired. Uh, well, I can see why you confuse those two. He was in, uh, but Josh Guy was in um, Murder on the Orient Express this year, and um, oh, he was in something else that I didn't. I, I did like him in uh, While Wish You Were Here, the uh, Zach Braff film. Um, mm -hmm. He plays his brother in that movie, um, or. Oh, man, I always screw that title up. But the last movie and the most important that's coming out on Tuesday <laughs> is It. <laughs> it, uh, starring uh, Bill Skarsgård, Jaden Lieberman, uh, Finn Wolfhand, Wolfhard, excuse me, Sophia Lillis, um, and some of uh, the other kids, um, directed by uh, Andy Muschietti, um, Muschietti, I think, is 70 Metacritic. I really like this movie. I saw this one twice in the theater, actually. I forgot about that. Um, and I, I will likely be buying this one. Um, my daughter really enjoyed it as well. And um, I, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it definitely it captures the nostalgia of the 80s and the 80s style of movie of, like, the, the teens working together. Like, you know, just like Stranger Things right now, is it's that same tone and same vibe and... Uh, it's, it was really enjoyable. There was a lot of comedy. There was a lot of horror. Um, some really good filmmaking in it for sure. And Skarsgård as uh, Pennywise, I thought was pretty great. I like him. I think that he is genuinely a creeper in real life. I don't know if anybody has seen. I'm going to blink out on the name of the show. Uh, 
that he was in for Netflix. It was pretty good. Oh, no, I don't know what that is. Um, the end of the seasons, it only had like two or three seasons, uh, oh. seemed a little copy outish, but, uh, hmm. oh, Hemlock Grove. Oh yeah. That was, um, uh, was that Eli Roth's show or, um, uh, or is that, uh, M. Night Shyamalan? One of those two guys is connected to that. I think it's Roth. Uh, it says creators are Brian and I think, I don't know. I can try to find it. I, f- I feel like Eli Roth was involved with this show or something. Somebody yeah, had... one episode he was. Oh, okay. I guess that's I just heard the connection with him. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's a solid show. I like him, and I want to see him in more things. I thought he – I was apprehensive. I love Tim Curry, um, but I thought he did a great job. Yeah, um, I'm definitely going to end up buying that one. Um, I may not get it on Tuesday, but I will be at, getting it at some point in the near future. Um definitely looking forward to it um that's what's coming out on home video for january 9th now for theatrical releases um the only thing i think is coming out um new and not just expanding is we're going to talk about a few movies that are expanding is uh the commuter but i'm having some different information coming from different websites so i'm not 100 percent sure um that it is coming out on friday I think it is. And see, even IMDb does not give me a release date. Um, my normal site that I use to pull up this information, at release date January 12th. Oh. There it is. Okay. So I usually use Box Office Mojo's release schedule, and there was they had nothing scheduled for wide release on Friday. And then I, I, I knew the commuter was coming out, so I went and did some double-checking on a different site, and it confirmed it, and now IMDb does have it as uh, the 12th. So the commuter is what I'm calling taking on a train. Um stars Liam Neeson, Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson. Apparently it's Conjuring on a train as well. I was going to say, is this in the Conjuring universe? Um, I love both of them, so. There's some good, man, I didn't realize Sam Neill's in this. Jonathan Banks, Sam Neill, um, Elizabeth McGovern, Killian Scott. uh, I thought you were going to say Murphy. No, although he's got a new movie coming out called (gasps) The Party um, that Big Tuna was telling me about. In fact, you might want to look that one up. Um, I guess. I am not a fan of any of Neeson's action films, but I also it's not because they're not good or anything. I've never watched any. I haven't seen Taken, one, two, or three. Um, I started Taken, the first one. I I just wasn't interested and I stopped watching it. Um, I haven't seen uh the Run All Night or there was Taken on a Plane, but it wasn't called Taken on a Plane. I can't think of what that one was called. Up unknown or something like that and now the commuter from what i understand this is going to be his last action movie he's he said he's he said about himself like he's like it's it's only so believable for so long he's getting too old to pull off the action hero so i expect to see him doing some more dramas or maybe some rom-coms um but i do like him as an actor i just this movie looks kind of silly to me and i don't know I might check it out if if we don't get anything else. But I, I hear some good rumors that my theater is getting a few of the expanding movies that I'm looking forward to seeing. So with that, um, let's talk about some of those. Um, there's a movie uh, in limited release, and I don't know where it's going to be, but I'm actually pretty excited about it. Um, I don't know how good it will be, but I hope it's good. It's called Proud Mary. Have you seen anything for this? Corey? Oh, yes. There's a huge standy of it at my theater. I was just checking it out because it is visually very, I mean, it's the same as the um, 
the like movie poster that's on IMDb, but it just like ca- caught my attention well, last night when I was at the movies. We have Taraji P. Henson in her first action movie that I'm aware of. Um, she's playing what appears to be a John Wick-esque type character. Um, Neil McDonough, who I know from the Arrow universe, he was a villain on Arrow season two or three. Uh, Danny Glover is listed. And then I don't know many of these other actors, but um, directed by Babak Najafi, I hope. I apologize um, for not getting that right. I'm literally just looking at this for the first time. Uh, Not a lot of faith in that director. The first film I see on his, his, I'm assuming his, most known for is London Has Fallen. Um, I have not seen that movie, but I was not... uh, pulled into the premise of it um it was a sequel to uh white house olympus has fallen that's what it was called um and i I didn't see that either so um i don't know it the trailer i saw for this looked compelling i'm a fan of taraji p henson so i'm if it comes close enough i will definitely see this movie i don't think it's getting a wide release though so it will be um probably in the theaters that get some of the more indie films um but I'm definitely in, I'm intrigued to say the least, and like you said, the artwork on that poster is really cool. Yeah, it's like the it's I don't even know what to call it, but it's amazing looking. Um, another film that's supposed to be kind of expanding out, but I don't know for sure how many theaters. Um, is Paddington Two? Oh. Now, have did you see the first one? No. Okay, so horrible person. Pe- people often laugh about the Paddington movies. But right now, with only 11 reviews, it has a 90 Metacritic score. Um, oh, I'm not, like, yeah. laughing at it that way. Like, I loved the uh, – there was a cartoon, I'm pretty sure, when I was a kid. And – because he's the bear that lives in the train station. So, yes. And I know there are books. But... There are definitely books. Um, and Ben Wishaw is the uh, the voice of Paddington, who I well... really like him. He was in um, The Lobster. I think he was in Free Fire. He was in uh, the last two Bond movies as Q. Um, it has Hugh Grant. Um, I'm generally a fan of him. I, I don't know why, but I do like him. Oh, I didn't realize Sally Hawkins was in this. Um, Hugh Bonavere, I'm guessing is how you say it. It's, it's not that I can't say it, but it's not displayed all the way. Uh, Michael Gambon, Imelda Staunton, who I think is, um, from the Harry Potter oh. series, and I hate her. Um, Ooh. well, from, because of her the character. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I oh yeah, she's, she's mean. Yeah, exactly. She's she's not. You're not <laughs> supposed to like her. Umbridge. Yeah. Umbridge. I couldn't think of her name for a second, and it popped in my head. Um, well, I I want to see Paddington too. I am hoping. I didn't see the first one in theaters, but I did rent it. Oh, and I think Brendan Gleeson's in this too. Um, oh, dang. And so a couple of Harry Potter actors, which is not surprising if you're a British actor, you were probably in a Harry Potter movie, um, <laughs> or a Doctor Who episode, um. I, I liked the first one a lot. I actually was kind of surprised at how good it was. And um, especially because a lot of these uh, animated, like, CG characters into a live-action movie have been pretty bad. Like, the first Chipmunk movie was enjoyable, but the second, and I didn't see anything after that. I think there's four now, uh, were not good. Garfield was not good. I, mean, I don't feel like they they do a good job at capturing what, like, the people that originally watched it loved. Because mm. I freaking loved the Chipmunks as a kid. Yeah, well, loved. and I thought the first one kind of had that. It, it's not as endearing. And again, 
they didn't go for the cartoon look. They they were actually like chipmunk size versus it being like human sized chipmunks. Like because mm-hmm. in the cartoon they were essentially just kid sized chipmunks. Here they yeah. are like little tiny chipmunks. Um, so it definitely changes the dynamic of like how they interact in the world and stuff like that. So like sending them to school never made sense in the the live action movies that they made. Um, the Smurfs was was not very good and. I, I'm I'm sure there's a few other ones where there's these CG characters interacting with humans, and obviously you can go back to Roger Rabbit, which was amazing. So Paddington nails it though, and it was really good. So I'm hoping the second one's as good. But yeah, I'm gonna watch it. The movie that I'm really pumped about that I have been told my theater is getting, and we're even getting a Thursday night preview, um, is The Post, um, <gasps> and that is starring Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks, Sarah Paulson, Bob Odenkirk. Uh, Tracy Letts, who's in yet another movie, Bradley Whitf- Whitford, which I didn't know he was in, and I'm like, super excited about that. Bruce Greenwood, uh, Matthew Reese, uh, Allison Breeze in this. I didn't know that either. Um, oh, I like her. Uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. I uh, am so excited about this movie. This movie has the potential to knock Big Sick off of my number one spot because I am a journalist. I love movies about journalism generally, at least the ones that I've seen, which there's not, uh, I'm missing a few actually big ones. Like I've never seen All the President's Men, which is like the journalist movie. Um, But we'll be watching that later this year, folks. Um, I really want to see The Post. Like it, it is so up my wheelhouse. I can't wait. And it's apparently coming to my theater on Thursday. So I will have my review on Friday ready for everyone to read. Um, but that's the movie I'm without question the most excited for, and apparently, definitely gonna have access to. So I'm really, I'm really stoked about that. I saw the trailer um, last night, and I have seen trailers, but I can't remember if it was before a movie or. Oh, it was. Bill didn't seem too interested, but that's okay. My friend and I are gonna go. But I'm excited that Meryl Streep is in that. You know that. Yeah. Part. And, and then Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't like Tom Hanks? I, I, you know, I went through a phase <laughs> when I was just leaving high school, where I had I think I was like being a contrarian about Tom Hanks. Um, Castaway had came out, and I didn't really get into Castaway. And I, Forrest Gump was great, but I still like I didn't latch onto it like a lot of people I knew. <gasps> and and uh, again, I'm not. I've changed now, mm-hmm. but. I don't know what it was if it was just because he was so good that I was just like, nah, he's so well, bland. Well, all, I think that he's one of the few actors, too, that all of his movies aren't the best. You know what I mean? But somehow that doesn't like – and it's not him not being yeah, the no, best. He's almost he can be. Yeah. yeah, but I mean even though every movie isn't like amazing, I that hasn't like – tarnished his career or because i i can't think of actors off the top of my head but we definitely see that happen where and it's funny um as i mentioned earlier we're going to be watching that thing you do which is written directed and has a a major role tom hanks and um very often with my students they don't know actors names Uh, especially like my first year kids they haven't bothered to pay attention to with a few exceptions of like the big celebrities that are um you know, known and Tom Hanks is one of those celebrities where like everybody knows Tom Hanks, and um, that was like because I mean there's some big names in that thing you do like Liv Tyler, 
uh, uh, Steve Zahn and uh, Ethan Embry, which, to be fair, Ethan's not as big a name. Well, uh, Charlize Theron is also in that thing you do, which is always crazy to me because when I was younger, I never really paid much attention to Tina because she's like, oh, guy's girlfriend who isn't very nice. Um, I had other words to say, but I kept them quiet. Um, but... Now, like, I'm like, oh, my God, it's so crazy to think that Charlize Theron was in that thing you do in this minor role as, like, Guy's girlfriend at the beginning of the film. And, um, but Tom Hanks, like, I mentioned him, like, everyone in the room knows who it is. And several people knew who Charlize Theron is, but not by name. But when I started saying, oh, she's in Atomic Blonde and she was in, um, you know, Fast and, uh, Fate of the Furious this year as well. And that she was in um, Mad Max Fury Road the year before. Like, they're like, oh, oh, yeah. But Tom Hanks, they all know, like, oh, that's Woody, or the, oh, that's Forrest Gump, or oh, you know, they all have the movie. They all have something for Tom Hanks. They've all seen at least one of his films, and you know, it's it's something. It speaks volumes. In fact, I just saw on Instagram before we started recording, Emily Gordon, um, Kamal Nanjani's wife and co-writer of The Big Sick, uh, they're at an awards ceremony, and um, Kamal and Emily took a picture with Tom Hanks. And, like, Emily is fanning out in the picture. Like, she's got this huge smile. She's so stoked to be with Tom Hanks. And um, I hear he's supposed to be one of the nicest celebrities. So it's great when you hear, like, positive things about role models and heroes, that they're not just great at what they do, but they're also good people and kind and, and you know, generous. Because Tom Hanks, you know, he's they're probably, he, they're probably competing for an award, you know? <laughs> And yet, takes a picture, smiling, being silly, and Emily is having a blast. So, um, that's the releases for the 12th. Again, I think, technically speaking, The Post and Paddington 2 are expanding. Um, I'm not sure if Proud Mary is expanding or if it's uh, its official release, but according to Box Office Mojo, there were no major official releases this coming Friday. I don't know what happened with this particular week that they're wrong. But then, you have uh, Liam Neeson's The Commuter. I'm most excited about The Post, Corey. Super stoked on it. So if it's coming to a theater near you, I say check it out. It's definitely going to be an Oscar contender. Um, it's going to be one that uh, will be nominated for several awards. Whether it takes any home, who knows. But uh, if you look at Golden Globes, they had several nominations. So it's very likely that you'll see some in the Oscars as well. I think it's time, Corey. Are you ready to talk about Rebecca? Yes. All right, so we're we're traveling back quite a ways. This I think is the oldest movie that we've done on the podcast. Um, is it forty or forty three? I was looking I at 40. forty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. it's forty. Um, I'm going to confirm that here momentarily. But um, yeah, it's 1940. Uh, stars Lawrence Olivier, um, Joan Fontaine, George Sanders. I think. Yep. Uh, Judith Anderson, um, who's horrifying in this movie. Uh, Nigel Bruce, Reginald Denny. Oh, I didn't realize I knew that name. Um, C. Aubrey Smith and Gladys Cooper, I think, is enough. Oh, no. Have to talk about Florence Bates as Mrs. Van Hopper, who annoyed the bejesus out of me in the beginning of this movie. Um, I uh, knew very little about this. Um, I know the plot summary on IMDb says a self-conscious bride is tormented by the memory of her husband's dead first wife. Uh, this film was just recently released on the Criterion Collection. Um, Corey happened to buy it for me for my, for Christmas. Uh, and I was very excited to add this to my Hitchcock collection as I have several of his films. I think I have 13 or 14 of Hitchcock's films. And, um, I am, I am a, I'm a fan, which, you know, duh, I guess if you're a film person saying you're a fan of Hitchcock is like saying you breathe. Um, it's an, it's kind of a requirement, 
But um, I'm always a little nervous because I I do have um, I don't think I really have an issue with older movies anymore, but I used to, and so I always still have that kind of fear that I'm not going to con- connect with it or I'm not going to be pulled into it. And I I have yet to find a Hitchcock film that doesn't pull me in. Um, this one took a little longer than some of the other ones, but. Uh, you know, once I was in, and especially late in the movie when you get the real like Hitchcockian type plot, I was I was totally in. Um, and because that that was the thing, I wasn't really sure where the film was going. Um, I thought I'd read somewhere that it was a ghost story, but it's the ghost is more of a metaphor than a literal ghost. And um, that's what I thought I was getting into, also. So I'm not sure. Where I read that or picked it up, well, but that's what I one of totally the plot summaries I read, which was I don't think this one said that. Um, uh, yeah, here they use the memory of her husband's dead first wife. I think I read somewhere the ghost of the dead first wife, but it was more it's a metaphorical like she lingers over the estate, like there's traits of her everywhere. So it's like there's like a specter in her way, but there's no actual ghost in the movie. So I I wasn't sure where the Hitchcock tone was going to come in, and then it did. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, now I get it. Um, and uh, you have a lot of your Hitchcock trademarks. And, you know, This is his first American film. Um, not his first film, but his first film done in America. Um, he has you know, the blonde lead, the trademark driving sequences that he likes to use in his movies. Um, you get a lot of that. Uh, I thought overall, though, I really enjoyed the film. Um, there were some general... Uh, pretty crazy moments um i thought Lawrence olivier was uh pretty great i i don't think i'd seen anything with him before um i knew the name and but um i don't like looking at his like skimming his list i didn't i i don't believe i'd seen any of his films prior so i always like getting that with hitchcock is he does have um while he uses james stewart in a few of his films a lot of times his actors change from film to film and i always like that um to get a little you know bit of diversity um, man, Lawrence Olivier's in a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Corey, what were your initial thoughts of Rebecca? Oh, man. Uh, quite a bit of it made me angry, actually. Um, we can talk about that <laughs> a little bit. Um, once we finally got to, like, <laughs> the meat of the story, like, you know, I don't know, um, which is kind of later um i really enjoyed that part of it but i just can we just give spoiler warning oh um yeah but one one second (laughs) no no it's okay um i i liked um i mean hitchcock has a lot of techniques that i always enjoy there is one specific sequence which is a spoiler thing that i'll get into in a minute where i just was really i really loved how he conveyed the story uh, visually, and that is something Hitchcock always really prides himself on is the visual methods that he he conveys the story. Although this one does have uh, quite a bit of dialogue, um, even like opens with narration, which is not a, a traditional thing for a Hitchcock film. Um, and that that's probably it's still early. I mean, 1940 is very very early. It's heavily still embedded in the studio system, um, and uh, I I kind of could feel that. Um, but I, I, you know, the the technical stuff is really strong. The sets are impressive. Apparently, the manor that we see at the beginning of the film, like the outside <laughs> of uh, 
what's what's it called? May Manderley. Manderley um, is a miniature. Um, yeah, the, uh, from what I was reading the IMDb trivia before we started the podcast and was kind of impressed with a lot of things, and that was one of them. I was like, what? That is a miniature? Like, would have never guessed that was a miniature um, from looking at it. And so I'm, I'm assuming every time we see the outside of the, the estate that it's a miniature, and that makes it all the more crazy um, because they couldn't find a location that matched the description from the book that they were adapting. Um and of course, this is according to IMDb trivia, so it, it is definitely subject to be wrong. Um, I don't know how thorough anybody investigates this, although it's high up on the list, and a bunch of people have found it interesting. It doesn't make it true. Um, there's also like in here that uh, Lawrence Olivier was a jerk um, to uh, Joan Fontaine because he wanted his girlfriend Vivian Lee, who I, I believe was in Gone with the Wind. Oh, yes, uh, he wanted her to play the lead in this. And uh, for whatever reason, that didn't happen. Fontaine got the role. And so um, he was being a jerk to her, and uh, it shook her up. And Hitchcock decided to capitalize on this by telling her that everyone on the set hated her, making her shy and uneasy, which was the way he wanted her to be on screen. So, you know, Kubrick was notorious for doing stuff like that, and I heard Hitchcock was not the— He, in one interview, did refer to actors as cattle. Um, although his implication was not that they were uh, to be, like, toyed with necessarily. But there have been some people who thought Hitchcock was not kind to his actors. And this isn't the best example of him being kind to them. Um, this movie did win Best uh, best Picture Oscar, which I didn't know, um, in 1940. Uh, the jacket that she wears, I'm, I'm just kind of skimming through because I found some of these things interesting. Um, in Spain was became very popular and started being called Rebecca, and that is still used apparently today to refer to this article of clothing as a, it's a Rebecca. Um, yeah, but uh, and there's some other stuff out out there. I'm not going to read all the trivia or anything. We don't usually do that, but I found that kind of stuff uh, fascinating. Um, and I thought the set design and the costuming in the film was really good. Um, yeah, and uh, Miss Danvers, though, I can't say enough about this character um, played by Judith Anders, Anderson. Sorry, um, She is a bitty. Yeah, but she creeped me out so much. Um, and she's cool, and I would have thrown her th through a window. Yeah, well, I mean, and uh, again, we're getting we're getting close to spoilers, but she is the uh, like the maid. The well, I can't think of her official title. She was the maid or the head of the the estate as far as she kept everything in order she um, she ran the rest of the house yeah everything um, that was non-financial um there was a different guy who did the finances um but she had a close relationship with uh the um ex-wife uh, or the now dead wife they were very close and she seemed to be taking her death much harder than anybody else like it was almost like what is being implied here like um like was she in love with with the original uh, with Rebecca? Rebecca, that should be noted that the name of the movie is the name of the dead ex-wife, um, Mister De Winter. Uh, we we see um, we meet him at a hotel uh, with. Interestingly enough, did you notice that our our lead character played by uh, Joan Fontaine doesn't have a first name? I was just um, reading that, and I. Well, I was reading about the book, um, ah. and yeah, they just call her Miss DeWinder. Which, so, so the first 20 or so minutes of the movie, when 
we're watching Mr. DeWinter kind of woo her. He, we never get a name. She has no name. She's just this character. She's a, a valet, um, like a paid uh, friend to this obnoxious um, hot upper class woman named Mrs. Van Hopper. Would um, have no friends otherwise. Apparently, although she thinks she does. Like, man, I wish I could be as forward as she is with everybody, right? Like, she's just like, Mr. DeWinter, I, come sit with me. And, like, man. I think that that is interesting given our, oh God, you know, her companion. They're like complete opposites. And I don't think that someone with that strong of an, a personality could with another person with such a strong personality so i feel like that's why she hired that girl to be her companion because she's meek yeah definitely she's very easy she does exactly what she's told well at least at first but mr DeWinter kind of pulls her away and it helps because she gets sick and we get this kind of like not the i wouldn't call it a great romance because he's not they meet she thinks he's about to jump off a cliff we see him standing at the edge of a cliff looking down at the water um, and she she yells for him not to do it, and he kind of gets like mad, like I wasn't gonna do that, you crazy woman. What's wrong with you? But then he starts to seem interested in her, and he starts kind of he takes her out. But he's he's like the kind of the jerk guy, you know, where like the girl's probably thinking I can change him, or it's you know, I don't know. I I always get frustrated because I was always the nice guy, so like it always bugged me when girls like guys like this. And that it's definitely maybe of the time. But then again, it, it I, still happens. Uh, okay, let's give spoiler warnings. All right, Warning. before we talk any further, Corey. Okay. <laughs> Guys, we're going to talk about this movie in really great detail. Go check it out. You'll probably have to buy it from Criterion. It's not even on Filmstruck yet. Um, but we're going to talk about this movie. And if you don't like spoilers, you should probably stop here. Exactly, um, because we we don't want to spoil a movie that you might want to watch. Um, I will go ahead and tell you though, if you're like debating before we get into real spoilers, I think it's a safe buy. It's a good the the I haven't got to the second disc yet, but I'm gonna get into some of the special features for the movie. Um, but it's a that it comes with a very nice booklet, and the the artwork on it is awesome. I love the shot of it's Mrs. Danvers um, silhouetted against the window, which I didn't know because again, it looks kind of ghostly. Um, but it's it's Danvers, and uh, in fact, in the IMDb trivia, um, Hitchcock wanted to give the illusion that Danvers was floating. So, like when we see her moving, she's kind of more gliding, and not doesn't look like she's walking because it was supposed to be more from um, Miss Miss DeWitt Miss DeWinter's perspective, and she was freaked out by Danvers. Danvers intimidated her and scared her, and so she was constantly just kind of seeing her as like this spirit almost, and that kind of plays into the the way the movie rolls. So what what you wanted to go to spoilers bad. So let's see what you have to say for. Okay. Um so I wrote that exact same thing that um is it a sign of the time? I really hated Mr. DeWinter. I hated him so much. I first of all, nobody's going to tell me what to wear. <laughs> like when he he's telling her um at one point, he's like, pour my coffee, two lumps of sugar. I take my tea that way, too. Don't you forget it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he tells her not to wear black satin, not to wear pearls, and to never turn 36, I think. Yeah, I never was – I was never sure how old she was supposed to be. Like, He's I, a – He's older. Oh, 
He's a douchebag. I said it. I'm sorry. Um, but it's definitely of the times. Uh, women had uh, not that that's their place, but that was their place at the time. You know, they were. Um, it was interesting because, like, the whole like correspondence, like that was she was expected to be kind of like the hostess. You know, like you're supposed to write letters and contact these people, keeping contact so that we when we have a party that they all can come. You know, like that was the wife's role in this upper class world. I don't agree with it, but it was of the time. And I so and again, there there's definitely some questions about Hitchcock and his attitude towards women. Um, you can look through. I mean, through most of his films, there's always many of them have issues with the mother figures, which isn't in this one. But you do Danvers kind of has this dark motherly element to her, even how she kind of obsesses over Rebecca. Um, everything's in its place and. Um, I thought, okay, and I was really uncomfortable for a lot of this film. Yeah. I, like, her character, I don't like seeing, she was so meek when she went into her new home. Mm -hmm. Like, she, there is one point also, she hangs up on someone that called and asks for Mrs. DeWinter, and she forgets she's Mrs. DeWinter, okay, but yeah. she, like, hangs up, and then she's like, oh, yeah, but she just, you know, she doesn't go and explore the whole home, she's, like, told to stay out of Rebecca's old room, first of all, I would have probably went in there and took all those disgusting R-monogrammed pillowcases out of there, like... Oh, those R's were everywhere, they were on the napkin at It was the disgusting, table. yeah, um, like, how full of yourself are you gonna be, like... Well, it's, it's, I kind of got the vibe that those were all put there by Miss Danvers, though, like that she made her all these R things um, because she tells us she made the pillowcase. Um, so I kind of just think that was her her thing. But um, I, I mean, it makes sense, though, because you got this character is a like not a servant, but essentially that's what she was to Miss Van Hopper. Right. Like she's a paid friend. You know, that's her livelihood. She's from, you know, a bad situation. That's why she took this job. And so now she goes from being that to kind of the dream, quote unquote, uh, you can't see me doing quote fingers, but the idea that there was a Prince Charming who would whisk you away from your, your life of torment. I mean, think of Cinderella, you know, you're, you're covered in soot and dirt and you're, you're being mistreated by an evil stepmother. And here comes the Prince Charming who whisk you away to a castle. That's what happens to her. And it's culture shock, right? Like she gets there. She's already kind of, thinks that uh this is too good to be true and then she's not exactly well, greeted with any kind of kindness from anybody right i okay so what's with their whirlwind romance did they like court for a week i yeah ugh, at, at most like what are you doing i mean i don't really think that you can fall in love with someone that quickly that's sorry but that's story right like i mean movies I and books and that, that happens all the time in these things um, and yet, no, uh, agreed. And but they don't seem like they're in love at no. Per- you know what I mean? Like she, later on, she does. We, I feel like she's just infatuated, but I don't feel yeah. like it's like love. But, you uh, know what I mean? Does that <sighs> whether or not it's infatuation or love? I think could be the message of the film, right? Like she rushes into this world. She doesn't take into any any of the risk into consideration she's wrapped up in the in the whirlwind of it all right like here's this guy who is paying her attention um and keep in mind miss van hopper we're given the impression that she is used to getting attention and he blows her off 
and then goes to her her friend, her servant, or whatever you want to call um, the the nameless girl until she gets married to Mister De Winter. I mean, even that that fact alone speaks volumes. She has no identity until she's married to him, right? We don't know what to call her until she gets married to Mister De Winter. He basically gives her a name. He gives her something more than what she is. She is nothing, and he gives her something. Now, is that good in today's standards? No. No, it's not. It's not right at all. But think of, like, there's that moment where she uh, stands up for herself, where she, be, you know, she embraces that she's the wife. I'm trying to, I, I wrote down the notes. I was very, like, oh, she, she just, she's claiming her spot as Mrs. DeWinter. Um, well, and I hope you remember when that was, but like the point where she walks in on the house guest talking crap about her in her own for whatever that room would be called with the beautiful fireplace. That's far taller than I am. I'm five, four guys. Um, I would love to have a fireplace I could walk into. Um, mm. not while it's lit, but oh, okay. you know, yeah, but I just like the thought of being able to walk into something like that. I don't know. It was so beautiful. Um, but I forget their names, but they're, like, standing there talking badly about her, and she still just, I mean, at least she lets her presence be known, but she doesn't say anything in it. I don't know. Is that her, um, the sister-in-law and the and the, the brother-in-law? Uh, was it the, I feel like that, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I mean, she, she does that a couple times, um. You know, there's the whole Jack Favell uh, thing where he he says he's Rebecca's cousin, but clearly oh. was not Rebecca's cousin, I think, or it was Rebecca's I, cousin oh. that was having an affair with Rebecca. I'm not. 100%. I totally, I felt like that totally was her cousin, and I'm pretty sure that Mr. Danvers says at some point that that's her cousin, and I just felt like that too was maybe of the time. <laughs> I don't it's know. possible, <laughs> um, especially for like upper class to to. You know, I mean, we have Game of Thrones, the Lannisters. You know, the inbreeding is not uncommon in the uh, upper class. It was a way of keeping the, you know, the blood pure, that kind of thing. Um, it also could be that 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 lie, though, where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just hanging out with my cousin. But really, it's not, you know, that's a thing, you know, like, uh, oh, it's the plumbers here. It's not a plumber. Um, or uh, the, milkman. the classic was, well, Milkman or the... Um, the TV repairman, you know, or Uncle Uncle Billy stopped by today. Like, who's Uncle Billy? Uncle Billy is <laughs> Mom's good friend. Um, but, um, yeah, there's uh, man, and even like Crawley is the guy who takes care of the the estate. Um, when when she's talking to him about Rebecca, asking her questions, asking him questions about Rebecca, and um. He's like she's the most beautiful creature he ever saw. He says that to uh, Miss De Winter, and I'm like, dude, what a jerk! You can tell she's insecure. Why would you say that? <laughs> like, don't tell the girl she's felt, the most beautiful woman ever. Like, but I felt like he countered that with something else to her because uh, I can't remember what it was, but agreed. But I felt like he was the one of the only people that like took up for her and a. Yeah, he was a true friend to both her and to um, Mr. DeWinter because Maximus, his name. Max, yeah, he he stands with him through. Uh, well, and that's the twist we haven't even talked about. That um, we're told early that Rebecca died uh, in a ship accident, like the boat capsized. They found her body like a few miles down the the, the coast. Um, he had to identify the body. They had a funeral. It's been a year. 
Um, now, it's the night of the masquerade. Uh, Miss Danvers has tricked Mrs. DeWinter into dressing up the same way Rebecca did the year before, which, of course, makes Mr. DeWinter very unhappy. Um, she runs off, and while that happens by, you know, circumstance, um, a, a ship wrecks outside of the Mandalay, um, and it's revealed that it wrecks on not a rock, but the boat that capsized, Rebecca's boat that's been under the water. Um, and what they found in Rebecca's boat is a body. Buzz? Yeah, and um, so everyone's like kind of surprised. And then the big reveal, Mr. DeWinter tells Mrs. DeWinter that he knew what they would find, that it would be Rebecca. And he knows that because he killed her. Well, kind of. Initially, he says he killed her. We, what we're told is he hits her, which she prompted because she says, I'm pregnant. It's not your baby. And we find out the whole marriage was a scam in the first place. She's he calls her the devil, that she was the devil. Like after they get married, he said after just four days of their marriage, she reveals that she was the devil, just like an awful person who was never the person he thought she was. And he's unhappy she's she's been kind of living this like fake uh life in like a facade everyone thinks she's this great they're this great couple but now she's she's getting bored and she's having an affair apparently and tells she bought a house in a in a city and she goes and stays there for days apparently yeah, with Fav- with jack favell um which may or may not be her cousin and she <laughs> she tells him uh she tells mr DeWinter or maxi that she's pregnant he hits her, she falls and hits her head on um, some ship material and dies. And he tries to hide the body by putting it on the boat and sinking it. And I'm like, oh, man, there's the Hitchcock moment, right? That's that's the moment where everything finally makes sense. Because I knew something. It was There was no way it was just like a guy who's depressed about his wife being dead and this weird... Because he wasn't mate. that sad about it. Well, no, but he, he did look distraught like at the beginning of the movie. And I also thought him lashing out was a, a result of this not knowing how to deal with his grief. That's what I thought it was. Um, it was more of like him not knowing how to deal with his guilt and fear of being caught that he, you know, he was responsible for Rebecca's death in one way I or another. want to pull back a little bit because when Mrs. DeWinter runs to, she runs to Rebecca's room to, she confronts Mrs. Danvers mm-hmm. for telling her to dress that way. And then Mrs. She lies. She's, she like my oh, yeah. She tries to get her to on the bed. Herself. Yeah, and then Miss Danvers like opens the window and she's like, "Oh, aren't you just so distraught?" And she's like, kind of trying to coax her to the window. And I would have just pushed Miss Danvers out. And at that moment, I thought we were going to find out that Miss Danvers killed Rebecca or something too. Like that's what I thought it was because like she's the way like she so was, obsessed. Yeah, the way she was uh, manipulating her or something. I also thought maybe we would find out that Miss Danvers was Rebecca and like they couldn't divorce so he killed her and made her like as the maid or something you know what i mean like i thought it was gonna be something weird like that um i was waiting for a twist and we got one and i, I didn't particularly see it coming because i i thought i thought dan i thought the winter was generally um upset not not grief stricken necessarily but upset about rebecca like he did there were multiple things that seemed to trigger those moments where i was like oh yeah he definitely is still upset about the loss of his wife um, but now we find out that he never loved Rebecca, basically, that he's been miserable for years. Uh, the last year has been basically him just trying to move forward and that he generally does love 
um, Mr. Winter, who again has no other name. This this is it. This is all we got. And um, that's the first time I believe he loves her. Is in that scene where he's he's confessing. But he, but he said that she's lost that. True. Whatever the from innocence. her eyes, the thing that he loved loves about her. I don't, loved I, about her. I didn't get the vibe that he didn't love her though. I thought he was just he was heartbroken to have taken her innocence because she grew up several years in the moment of finding out the truth because and she does she immediately that's like one of the most strong moments we see in her character because when he tells her she immediately starts like trying to make things work although she does revert back to being a little bit too timid throughout the rest of the movie but in that moment i thought hey we're gonna see her toughen up um because she's ready like it's not over and at first she goes to run away that when he says he killed rebecca then she she pauses, which I have no idea why. Like I'm totally running away when a guy commits, you know, confesses to murder. But she pauses and listens to his story again because she loves him for whatever reason. It doesn't, it doesn't really add up, but she clearly does because she's willing to give him time to explain the whole scenario. Um, he goes to trial, and then there's uh, the accusation. What we find out, which I thought was another another interesting twist, she was never pregnant. She found out she had cancer. And even kind of uh, told the doctor that she wasn't going to wait for it to kill her, that she was going to end the it. The months it will happen so, much sooner. Um, Mr. DeWinter gets away, gets off. It's not a murder. It's uh, deemed suicide. That she like It looks like she purposely capsized her boat and drowned herself, even though that's not quite what happened. That's what it looks like because of the new information. Um, Jack Favall... F- f- yeah, f- Man, I just screwed all that up. Um, Favel, excuse me. Um, he had pushed the murder charges, and now he drops those because he believes the doctor. Everything seems to add up, and it looks like it's going to be a completely happy ending. But Miss Danvers is not having any of that. I thought that she like conceded. And then, because at first she was like, she doesn't have a secret doctor in London or whatever city she goes to. And then she went there with them and heard that, that she she had, oh, no. Jack Jack Favell calls her and tells her um, that she she had cancer. Dang it. That she wasn't pregnant, she had cancer. And that's where we get this scene where I thought she was going to murder Mrs. DeWitt, DeWinter. Like, I thought Miss DeWinter was dead because she's sleeping. And there's this really cool shot where you see um, Miss Danvers holding a torch and then Miss sleeping Miss DeWinter in the background. Oh, shizzle. That's okay. Yeah, and I thought, I'm like, oh, man, she's going to kill her. And I was really worried because I'm like, no, you can't kill her. She's finally going to get to be happy. Everything's going to work out. Now he's not going to have to hide the guilt anymore. They can move on and, and have you know their marriage. Like, it can really begin. Like, this is really going to be the, the true marriage here. And... um then we she she doesn't kill Mrs. DeWinter, and I was very happy about that. But she does destroy the uh, the estate. She sets it on fire, and uh, and kills herself. Um, I hope Mr. DeWinter had some kind of insurance on that. I mean, yeah, because and that the movie opens with the, um, a voiceover and seeing the uh, the estate and saying this is the last time I saw it or something like that, and it's nobody lives here that kind of thing. And then we see it full of life. And now we know why um, at the beginning of the movie we saw it after the fire, after it had been destroyed. Um, 
I, I, I enjoyed this film. It's, it's not my favorite Hitchcock film by any means, but I definitely really like it. I'm very happy to have it in my collection. Thank you, Corey. Um, and I mean, it's, it's kind of for me, never going to be, um, hard it's i'm never going to go lower than not quite golden for a hitchcock film i don't think at least there might be some bad ones out there that i haven't seen but um oh and i read i read this was some i maybe wikipedia but i read that this was his first american film yes and his first working with this particular producer correct which apparently they... has butted heads a few times with this producer which is not <laughs> um hitchcock liked to uh edit while filming so um, a lot of, like, he, he didn't waste film. In fact, I think it's Vertigo. Maybe it's Rear Window. I can't remember which one. Um, he had planned his shots so partic- so meticulously that he had almost no film left over. Like, almost everything that was shot was used in the final edit because he only shot what he wanted. Like, he edited in his head and only filmed as much that he needed. Like, so, if he was filming a long shot of the room, he filmed it just long enough for the edit that he wanted. And so very little trimming had to be done in post, um, which saved money in some ways, but it make it basically gives him complete control over the final cut. And that's what he did with this movie. And apparently it really upset the producer. Um, he had, he basically was editing it in camera. He only filmed for the three or four seconds that he wanted the shot to be in the movie rather than filming it for 15 seconds and doing several takes that then you would take the best take and cut um, you know, and and you know, cut it to the length that you decide in in post, giving the editor a lot more control. And of course, in those days in the studio system, um, they would do dailies, and so uh, there would be a runner who would watch the dailies, and they'd make editing decisions on the fly, and they kind of controlled the uh, final product. Um, and Hitchcock was an auteur; he wasn't having that. He was gonna have control over his movie, and he did it by keeping the edit in the camera where it wasn't getting to an editor. It wasn't getting to, even if the daily, if the guy who said, I want this, there's nothing else to put there. He only filmed three seconds of this shot. That's all there is. There's nothing else I can do. I can make it shorter, but that's it. And so he, he kept control and that upset some people. Um, so yeah, super interesting. Um, and kind of the development of what we now think of as like indie directors, you know, where you have the the directors have more control over their film. They have, you know, granted they don't get the uh, big releases and stuff like that, but it's their movie when it's all said and done. It's very interesting. Um, I I'm I don't think this is a must see uh, for Hitchcock. Um, there's definitely it's not his quintessential film, but it's definitely one that if you are a Hitchcock fan. I think you should seek out for sure. Um, I would say, though, for your average movie watcher, it's not quite golden. There's a lot of good in the film. It could probably be like 20 minutes shorter. Um, It was a little... It was two hours and 10 minutes long, I think. Yeah, I was really surprised that it was that long. Um, Most of his movies are not quite... Well, no, I think think Psycho and Vertigo are all over two hours as well, but those don't feel like it. This movie, there's there's some pieces that could be trimmed out, and it would be just as good. Um, if not better. Um, so I, I say not quite golden for this one for me. I'll say not quite golden also. And there you have it, folks. Now, this month of January, our theme is Certified Fresh. And this movie uh, this movie's on Rotten Tomatoes Top 100. Um, and neither of us had seen it. And Corey just got it for me for Christmas. So it made sense to do this first. Um, our next episode 
Um, I had it in front of me, and now it's not in front of me, so hold on. Our next episode, I got to pick the movie, so I feel a little bad, but it's one that I've been wanting to watch for quite some time, and it's L.A. Confidential. Have you Ooh. ever seen this movie, Corey? I, not that I recall. It is available on VOD. Um, you can also, it's it's an older movie, so you can order it um, on DVD or Blu-ray from Amazon. Uh, I doubt you'll find it in any, like, Walmart or anything like that, because it's older. Um Although we just missed the 20-year anniversary, I didn't realize this. I think I just saw a name. Yeah, Kevin Spacey's in this movie, so oops. Um, but I've never seen it. It has a 90 on Metacritic. It's in the top 100 of uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and that's why it's picked. It's another long one, two hours and 18 minutes. Um, but it stars uh, Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, um, James Cromwell, Kim Basinger, Danny DeVito, uh, David uh, Strathairam, who is in a bunch of stuff all the time. And it is uh, a modern, like, neo-noir film, so I, I'm excited for that reason. That might make Corey not so excited. Um, as corruption grows in the 1950s L.A., three policemen, one straight-laced, one brutal, and one sleazy, investigate a series of murders with their own brand of justice. Um, yeah, I'm excited about checking this out. Uh, it's one that's been on my list for a while, so I'm glad to be able to knock this one off. Um, and that's what we're going to be watching next time. So, um, if you want to uh, weigh in on anything we said tonight on the podcast or um, any of our recommendations, or if you want to weigh in on LA Confidential, you can email us, contact at com. That's contact at com. If you really like our show a lot, there's two things you can do for us. One, rate us on iTunes. Two, subscribe to our Patreon. As low as a dollar a month helps us to defer the cost of seeing the movies and keeping up with the uh, the server fees that we have to pay for the podcast hosting and stuff. I'd really like to expand um, to a new host, and uh, the, the, the better podcast hosts that are out there do cost more money than we are currently able to do. Um, but if we get enough Patreon subscribers, that's something we can do. And that just makes it, um, easier for us to, to add features. Like I'd love to do, um, potential live streaming, or if you really wanted to listen to the podcast as we're doing it, like right now, for example, we could do that, um, with some of the services that are out there, but it costs a little more. So if you really like the podcast, you like to help see us grow, you can uh, subscribe to our Patreon. And at the very least, we would love for you to follow us on social media. You can follow me at Burke Reviews and Corey. At Corey R Star, two R's on the end. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, check out our reviews on BurkeReviews.com. Um, we'll have some new top five podcasts coming up soon. Um, this particular week, we're doing our top five returns from 2017. That is our least favorite movies from uh, that we watched during 2017. Not made in 2017, but the movies that we watched. Um, I'm curious to see if Corey and Mike will have Hudson Hawk on their list. Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, good. No, that's great. I, I hope not. I, it's, it's not on one I want to return. It was not as bad as I was expecting. I really like Hudson Hawk. I I, I know it's not a good movie, but they, I enjoy it. It's not. I don't know. I don't think that it's bad. I, I don't like, know. I like Bruce Willis, and that's what makes that movie work to me. So, um, But until next time, folks, uh, that's our episode. Corey, thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with our review of L.A. Confidential. Thanks, Bye, everybody. guys. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs>